Welcome, friends, to another edition of Economic Update, a weekly program devoted to the economic dimensions of our lives and those of our children. I'm your host, Richard Wolf. Today's program is going to be devoted to large U.S. corporations, what they are, why they're there, what their impact is. It's a topic many of you have asked me to address on many occasions, and instead of doing it a little here and a little there, which has been my approach so far, I thought I'd take today's show and offer it as an analysis not only of what mega corporations are and do in our society, but what can be done about it. How can it be challenged and contested and changed? So let's jump right in. Mega corporations, and by that I simply mean the one, two, three large corporations that dominate so many different industries in the United States typically use their economic power, strength, and size to buy political and cultural influence and power. They do that by buying mass media, being the great advertisers whose words and ideas you see all the time on the mass media, by donating to political parties and politicians much of the money they need to maintain their activities hiring and firing and organizing lobbyists to work with the elected officials between elections and thereby to control political power. We know all of that. You don't need me for that. What I'm doing is responding to their reality. And that reality has recently been brilliantly analyzed over and over again by Ralph Nader, Chris Hedges, and many, many others well-known to many of you. So let's begin with a thumbnail critique of the megacorporation in our culture. Most of them, many of them, are monopolists. That is, they are the only big fish in their industry. And in that position, once they've acquired it, they can then jack up the price of whatever it is they sell because they're the monopolists. There's nowhere else to go. You know, the famous example from American history, which I'll come back to, is the telephone. At a certain point, one company called AT&T, American Telephone and Telegraph, was the phone company. And they enjoyed saying to you, if you made a complaint about what they were charging you or the service they got for you, they would giggle at the other end of the telephone line they owned by telling you, you can always go to their competition. Ha ha ha. There wasn't any. Now, sometimes monopolists have gotten themselves into trouble by this kind of behavior. You know, today, for example, we have two examples, Walmart and Amazon. Both of them have destroyed thousands of small mom-and-pop businesses around the country, and even some medium-sized, bigger-than-mom-and-pop businesses. They've been a horrific, destructive force in countless communities. Okay, that has gotten them a lot of opposition. There have even been communities that have blocked an Amazon warehouse from being located there or blocked a McDonald's hamburger or a Walmart because they don't like what it means. So often monopolists 
realize they can defend themselves better if they don't become the only one. Instead, when the competition winnows down the number of producers to two or three big corporations, they stop. They don't go to the ultimate one left because that will be a target for criticism. They have a stop sign. We'll stay with three or four. By the way, in economics, that's called an oligopoly instead of a monopoly. Monopoly one, oligopoly a few. Best example is the automobile industry, which started in the 1930s with 30, 40, 50 car companies and then winnowed itself down to two or three Ford, General Motors, Chrysler, and so on. What is typically done by these big corporations is what we call unfair competition. They're big and they use their bigness, sort of like a bully would, by insisting that suppliers give them a better deal on inputs than the little guys get, or making sure that whoever they sell to privileges their brand over any competitors. It's important to understand that capitalism has always tended to produce monopolies and oligopolies. It's built in to this system. And the easiest way to explain it is to tell you and to remind you, because I know most of you know this, that competition, efforts by little and medium-sized businesses to outproduce one another, to offer a better service or a cheaper product or a better product, that always produces winners and losers, those who do well and their product sells and those who don't. What you may not understand is that not only are there winners and losers, but the winners absorb. Literally, they eat up the loser. The company that goes out of business has to sell its equipment on the used equipment market. You know who buys it? The winner. The people who lose their jobs in the company that is outcompeted, you know where they look for a job next? In the company that won that competition. So what slowly happens is many producers, through competition, become a few. And if it keeps on going, it becomes the oligopoly or the monopoly. That's why the next time you hear some glib politician or some even glibber businessman or woman tell you about the wonders of competition, you're entitled to sneer. Competition is what causes monopoly and oligopoly. And then there are cases when competition is deliberately removed. Here's an example. You're a big corporation and you buy your inputs in the market, whatever they are. And after a while, you realize you're never quite sure you'll be able to get exactly what you want in the market at the quantity you want, at the price you want. And so tired of using the market, you buy the company. You absorb it. It's called vertical integration. You literally go out there, instead of buying the product from the other company, you buy the company. So that production of that input becomes internal to your enterprise rather than external and have to be bought in a market. Once again, when you hear on the 4th of July, the joys of our market economy, please remember that large corporations almost always are the result of many decisions made by the company's CEO and board of directors to get rid of the market, 
to remove the market from their situation by bringing the other companies that they used to buy and sell from to the inside. And you know when they bring them inside, how it's all worked out? By economic planning. The very thing that you denounce as socialism is what every large company does inside because it's gotten rid of the market outside because it wanted to make more profits and have them be more secure. Okay, so that's the story of the big corporations, how they work, how they got there. Now let's begin to unpack what we can do about it. I have to begin, as I like to do, with some history. Because we have, as a people in the United States, and there are similar stories for the rest of the world, we have risen up against big corporations over and over again in our history. I don't have time to go through many of them, but the highlights. At the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century, there was a mass movement here in the United States against huge corporations. They were called robber barons. That was the name of it. Books and articles were written. Newspaper journalists talked about the horrors of big corporation, the waste that goes on there, the illegality that goes on there, the destructive social effects of big corporations. In 1890, we had the Sherman Antitrust Act. The word trust was often used legally and in the campaigns against them. They were called the big trusts, the robber barons. Notice how different the society was when it called those people robber barons, whereas today they would want to be called, and they pay a lot for the PR, captains of industry. The Clayton Antitrust Act. In other words, Congress passed laws reflecting the mass movement from below to constrain them. The Department of Justice in Washington was equipped with an antitrust division, which it still has, whose job it was, like the title says, to be against trusts, to watch them, to catch them in their illegality, to catch them when they violate the rules of an economic system like ours. It was all capitalism, but big corporations came in for a lot of attention. Same thing happened with that telephone company I mentioned before, AT&T. The government of the United States, under pressure from below, broke the company up. It broke it up into those regional telephone companies that we still have, because the monopoly that AT&T wielded was determined to be socially destructive and socially unacceptable. We created in this country something called the Small Business Administration, which exists to this day. You know why? Because small businesses kept showing that they were being outcompeted and destroyed by illegal, unfair methods. Simple example. Big corporation goes to a local bank, says we want a loan and we want it at this interest rate. The local bank says, no, you have to pay more. Oh, says the local bank, really? Then we're going to make sure that nobody banks at your bank. Then we're going to make sure that we go to another bank. We're going to put you right out of business. And the small business can't come and play that game because it doesn't have that many accounts. It's not a fair fight. It's not a level playing field. Big corporations get a bigger 
better deal. So we created the Small Business Administration, which deliberately goes out and offers small businesses lower interest rates and all kinds of other supports to keep them alive because the playing field is in fact tilted and everyone knows it. Well, the big corporations didn't take all this lying down. Who would expect that they would? As long as you allow them to be there, they'll fight back. Okay, what did they do? They spent an enormous amount of money developing public relations. Endless displays that you can see and have to see and have to listen to about how the big corporation on the corner is really your good friend and is helping you. These days we hear about how it's all excited about the environment and fighting global war. Oh, sure. It's even called by a name now greenwashing to suggest what it's there for. The other thing they did is even more important. They began to realize that if the government was going to have an antitrust division, if state governments and others were going to do something, and I'm going to give you some examples later, well, they could solve that problem by becoming the patrons of. They could capture the regulators. It's called regulatory capture. When the big companies that are supposed to be supervised by the political control of the supervising agency, and that way undercut the whole problem. Before we move on, I want to remind everyone, Economic Update is produced by Democracy at Work, a small donor-funded nonprofit media organization celebrating 10 years of producing critical system analysis and visions of a more equitable and democratic world through a variety of media. Like this series, Ask Prof. Wolf, which is a collection of my responses to questions from Democracy at Work supporters. If you have a question you'd like me to answer, go to patreon.com slash democracyatwork or our website, democracyatwork.info, and sign up to support the work we do and submit your question. I try to get to as many as I can, and I thank you for getting involved. You can also learn more about all the work we produce. Sign up for our mailing list, follow us on social media, and join our growing community of supporters who make all of this possible and for whom we are very grateful. So thank you, and please stay with us. We will be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the second half of today's economic update. We're talking about mega corporations, the big monster corporations whose initials we've all had to memorize and learn and who dominate so much of what goes on politically, economically, and culturally. And where we left off in the first half, we were talking about, and I want to continue that, ways in which we as a nation have fought back. And I want you to get the history so you know how possible it is what its strengths and weaknesses are, we do not have to resign ourselves to being dominated by large corporations. Okay, in addition to the problems of the large corporations, we have seen fightbacks. I mentioned some of them, breaking up AT&T, passing the Clayton and Sherman Acts. Let me give you some more examples. In every one of the 50 states in this country, the states have established 
commissions. I'm going to give you just two examples. There are more. A utility commission and an insurance commission. What does that mean? Very interesting. Both the utilities and the insurers generated, as they became monopolists or oligopolists, as they became monsters in their industry, they generated pushback. They generated anger from the companies, large and small, that had to pay exorbitant fees for the utilities they depended on, or the customers, individuals who did, or individuals and businesses who had to pay a fortune to big insurance companies who dominated the market. So in every one of the 50 states, the pressure arose, control these big companies. And here's what the commission's are entitled to do in the 50 states. Before the insurance company or the utility company, by utility company, I mean the electric company and and all of that, before they can raise a price, they have to go before the commission, demonstrate what they're doing, show their books, and justify the increase they want. And if they're already making a profit, and if the commission doesn't think they need to have a higher price to continue to make a reasonable profit. The commission has the right to say, no, you can't increase your price. In other words, we are controlling and thereby limiting the monopoly power these mega corporations want and like to wield. So have we succeeded in limiting them? Absolutely. Let me give you some more examples, a couple from other countries. France is an interesting example. In France, small businesses enraged about the unlevel playing field in competition with big ones have organized themselves politically. What does that mean? Well, they go to the two parties that usually are fighting in France, a conservative party, basically the mouthpiece of big business, and a socialist party more likely the mouthpiece of the labor unions and the working class. And the little businesses position themselves in between. And they say something very interesting in French politics. They say to the big guys, you want us to work with you and help your candidates win? you got to give us guarantees against the nasty competition you will otherwise subject us to, the unfair competition. And if you don't give us that, We'll make an alliance with the working class, and we'll screw you by supporting them in getting better deals for workers. That's why the Socialist Party has succeeded over and over again in the last century in French politics, often occupying the presidency, often dominating the National Assembly, and so on. It's an interesting strategy, but it has worked. If you've ever been to France, you'll know that small businesses are the heart of virtually every city. Yeah, big business is there, and yeah, big business has lots of power in France, but it's limited and constrained by this political way small businesses have blocked its advance. Here's another example. In Germany, the working class was enraged by the behavior of these large corporations and forced through in elections by winning enough votes, again, led by socialists, there's a law. It's been the law now in Germany for many, many years. 
every German corporation with more than 2,000 workers has to give almost half of the seats on the board of directors to individuals elected by the workers. Imagine that. Very hard for Americans to imagine that. But that's in Germany, the most successful economy in Europe. That's what they do to limit the power. Those big corporations can't do all kinds of things because just shy of 50% of the board of directors will vote against them. And they need those workers to vote for other things they want to do. So there's a limit and a control that's being exercised. Okay. Government supervision has not proven to prevent big corporations, nor even to prevent their domination. It's limited it. It's constrained it. It has justified the efforts of people to make those kinds of reforms, but it hasn't solved the problem. And the problem can't be solved unless we deal with what big corporations are. In a democratic society, which we would like to believe we aspire to, and then those of us who are not too critical imagine we've already gotten there. But if you're serious about democracy, then one of the things a democracy ought to decide and put up to a vote is what size enterprise we want. If we don't want mega corporations to have the kind of power that they do in our culture, and they have captured most of the regulatory commissions, and they have dominated the two major parties, that's obvious. They shape the culture through their control of the media, who are themselves monopolists and oligopolists, and therefore hardly voices of criticism. Well, if we want to deal with that, then let's democratize the enterprise in the following sense. We should decide. Do we want any mega corporations? Do we want none? Do we want something in between? And let's not be fooled by people who say, well, if you want modern economic wealth, you have to have big corporations. One of my teachers many years ago, John Kenneth Galbraith, made that argument that we have to accept big corporations because otherwise we wouldn't have the wealth we do. Well, I have two answers to that. Number one, that's a proposition that has never been proved. Big companies always were small companies. And if you ever talk to a big company, honestly, maybe after two or three martinis, they're used to that, you get the following story. We were much more creative in this company when we were much smaller. Now we're a big, unwieldy bureaucracy. Everything takes very long. We don't grow very fast. Hmm, interesting. Let's see how far that goes. Maybe we'd be all better off with an economy that had fewer big monsters. Or maybe we could decide as a society that little companies don't get the kind of supervision that big companies do. We can take the idea of the commission about utilities and insurance and take it more generally. Let's supervise everything that gets beyond a certain size. If you want to be beyond a certain size, you're now subject to constraints and rules and regulations that we don't impose on medium and small to prevent the big ones from abusing the gains of, that they get by being large and nothing more than that. And let's make more smaller firms. Let's encourage smaller firms. Let's break up big firms into smaller firms. 
especially if we believe in the market competition idea, let's really have it. Or maybe let's be even bolder and imagine that we organize enterprises in our society, not only that they don't get to an overwhelming size the way we have today, but let's maybe make corporations into worker co-ops. You know we advocate for that. But one of the reasons we do is then they're not governed by profit. They're not governed by a competition that has to make them bigger all the time. If they grow, we can have more companies to serve a growing demand. We don't have to have one company that becomes a behemoth, an enormity that overwhelms us that we, in ways we don't want. We can shape the economy we live in to respond to our democratic needs. What it's doing now is responding to a small number of capitalists who sit at the top of these big corporations. They love the enormous power they wield. They love their ability to give themselves the kind of wealth that the pharaohs had in ancient Egypt, you know, the Elon Musk phenomena and all that goes with it. Yeah, they like it. They promote the PR that's supposed to convince all of us to go along and imagine it should be this way or it has to be this way or it is efficient in the it isn't any of those things. It has been a big burden on the United States, at least as much as anything else. And it has led our citizens like us in the past to fight back with antitrust and commissions and much more. And it's time now, as we see the enormous inequality generated by these companies, the super rich, you know who they are? The ones who sit at the top. That's why you know names like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Bill Gates or the other. It's because they sit at the top of these enormous wealth powerhouses. They're not wealthy because they're smart and well-known and clever. We think they're smart, well-known, and clever because they sit on the wealth. And we allowed that wealth to get to that enormous size. And even if it were true, I don't believe it is, but even if it were, I certainly can be wrong. Even if it were true that we might not generate as much wealth if we had smaller industries, let me ask you a question. Maybe there's a good argument for sacrificing some of the wealth we produce to have a different way of relating to one another in our daily lives because we are not under the pressure of a few big corporations. The advertising coming at you from every corner, the fact that you have to look at the Coca-Cola young people cavorting on the beach eight million times in your life, that's not a choice you made. That's their decision of how to get you to buy more Coca-Cola. That, and that's because they profit from that. Is that really the way we want our society to be shaped? in the present and the future, by those who have sit at the top of these monstrosities? I don't think so. I think, in fact, we could learn from the surges of pressure against those kinds of industries in the past, from the efforts they made, noble that they were, and struggle that they took, that they were outrun by these big corporations who used their money to blunt the effectiveness of the movements against them, to 
capture the very regulators that the reformists set up. Let's learn from that. Laws, regulations, it's not enough. If you don't deal with the very core of the problem, how we allow private capitalists to compete themselves into monopolies and oligopolies, that's the root of the problem. And that's what has to be changed if we're going to solve the problem. It's not a complex idea. It's only perhaps new. And that's partly because those very forces make it very hard to get these ideas out there and across to the people who need to hear them, see them, and act on them. Thank you very much for your attention. And as always, I look forward to speaking with you again next week.